Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. My name's Aaron, and uh, if you didn't know before, apparently I'm good at making a fool of myself. So there you, there you go. Uh, no, I'm I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. And uh, if you didn't know this before, if this is if you're new to Bridgewater, we are one church in many locations. We believe that you know, with 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 five different locations in an online campus, we believe that we are better together. And what a day to celebrate that, right? Six salvations across the campuses, amen, right? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pumped about that. Um, before we jump into our study this morning, and I kind of let you know what, what we're going to talk about, let me deal with some housekeeping real quick for Vestal, okay? Um, lots and lots of you have committed yourselves to praying and, and investing and inviting this year. Uh, a bunch of you have committed to, to inviting somebody at least once a month with you, and I've been enjoying hearing the stories about that, and you've committed yourself to sharing the gospel with somebody, trying to do that at least once a month. Uh, I'm, I'm rejoicing in that today, um, if, you, if you would, if you want to be praying with us, go back to the Guest Welcome Center, grab one of these. It looks like, uh, you know, it's got this picture, it says Pray, Invest, Invite, but the reason you want to grab it is on the back. There's a list of names from, from the first month of doing that, people that, ha- that, that you all have asked us to pray for. Would you consider taking these and just praying, praying for these people? Just praying for, for God to move, just like we were just singing. Shake the mountains, break, break the walls apart right? That's who God is. That's what he does. So grab one and, and, and pray with us, and I'm looking forward to seeing what God's doing, okay? Or what he's going to do. All right, we're going to continue in our study. As you can tell, we're doing a study through the book of James, and if you're, if you're new to the Bible, I want to give you an idea of what that means. So I, I say this often, especially when we're studying through a, through a whole book. Um, the, the Bible is really kind of one one book, but broken down into 66 different portions, okay? Um, you could break it down different than that. You could say that there's, there's two portions. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament has 39 books in it. And the New Testament has 27 books in it. And I tell you all of that, um, not, not trying to give you some lesson, but just so you understand the distinctions, okay? And one of the books in the New Testament is the book of James. It's written by a very interesting character. He was a, he was a pastor, Eventually, he pastored in the city of Jerusalem over a bunch of house churches, okay? Um, But he's probably more well-known for who he grew up with. He actually grew up in the same home with none other than Jesus. This is one of the pieces of the Bible that's incredible to me, and it lends so much credibility to the idea that Jesus actually is the Messiah, he actually is who he said he was. He wasn't just a raving lunatic because somehow, some way, eventually his brother who grew up with him came to believe that Jesus actually was the Messiah. And then he started pastoring churches and he wrote a letter to, um, to a bunch of the people that he pastors. And in this letter, he talks about what it looks like to be authentic, to be real to let Jesus actually change our lives. And so that's what we've been going over. And if you're new here, if you haven't been here in a couple weeks, I want you to know and get you caught up on what we're talking about. We're talking about how to have a real and authentic faith. Now, speaking of being real, I want to be real with you. I want to share with you one of my own struggles here today and see if you can identify. That'd be all right? Oh, yeah, you're very willing to hear my struggles. Good, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
You know, I, anybody ever have, have uh, problems in, in their life? I, I've on occasion had, yeah, never. I, I've occasionally had problems in my life. Anybody ever had conflict before in their life? Yeah, no, yeah. No, Dylan, you don't have conflict. Come on, don't tell me that. <laughs> on occasion, we have problems and we have conflict. Maybe the problems will just be you're driving on your, on your way to work and you just happen to be sharing the road with someone who is clearly less intelligent than you. <laughs> right? Ever felt that? I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, and the struggle is real. Okay. Maybe it's a conflict with a coworker, and your coworker, despite you know the number of times that you tried to instruct them on the right way to do the job that you guys are doing, they don't seem to be listening, and it's causing problems. Now, no one ever has conflicts in their relationships or with their spouse or with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or their, their children, but let's just say you did. Here's what I know about me. Okay, here's what I've found in my own life. Whenever I have problems or whenever I, whenever I have conflict, I almost always think that, that my problems come from things outside of me. I almost always think that the only reason we're having a problem is because either you don't understand me or you don't know something that I know or you just started the problem. Ever felt like that? You don't have to raise your hands because if you do, you might get in trouble with the person sitting next to you. Ever felt like that? I, I've felt like, really, the problems that come up in my life are because of things outside of me. For, let, me let me give you a couple of examples, okay? There are, there are thoughts that I have on occasion. They go like this. They go, if she hadn't, what? If she hadn't spent that money. If, if she hadn't said that, done that. If she hadn't acted like that, then I wouldn't have done what I did. <laughs> right? That's the interesting thing about the mind. The human mind is an infinite bank of justification. It's got all these ways to think that we're right and they're wrong. And the problem is outside of me. Or we say something like this. It wasn't my fault. They started it. Now, you probably won't say that quite like that. My children say it. It wasn't my fault. He hit me. She kicked me. She threw my stuff. Ah. Yeah, that, welcome to my home. That's what it sounds like on occasion. Okay. <laughs> now, maybe you wouldn't say it just like that, but we certainly we think that, don't we? We think that wreck certainly wasn't my fault. It was their fault. They were going too fast. They turned in the wrong place. It, you know. And even if, if, if the police find it to be your fault, you're convinced it wasn't your fault. Because we think that the problems in our lives come from outside of us. Or maybe, maybe you say things like this. If he hadn't made me mad, then I wouldn't have yelled then I wouldn't have cursed at him. I wouldn't have hit. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have lost my temper. I wouldn't have X, Y, Z. You can fill in the blank with whatever it is. And the reality is we think we're justified because we think that our problems stem from outside of us. Can anyone identify now, we're studying through James. 
I want to show you a relative of James, what he has to say. We're, we're just going to say Jimmy, okay? Let me share with you Jimmy, chapter 4, and verse 1. Here's what Jimmy says. He says this, what, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from other people stirring up trouble around you? That's what we tend to think. Why do I have problems in my life? Why am I struggling in my family? Why am I struggling in my relationship? Why are there problems at work? Why, what, what is going on? Don't they come because other people are the source of the problem? If they would just get their stuff together, my life would be so much better. <laughs> I mean, just a casual glance at social media tells you that this is the way people think. Because people will tell you all of their problems, and then they'll tell you why those problems are somebody else's fault. And here's, here's the reality. We're just going to be honest with each other, okay? I often feel the same way. Now, this is what Jimmy says. By the way, Jimmy's made up, in case you were wondering. Yeah. <laughs> Can I share with you what James says? James says it a little differently. James says it like this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, that part's the same. But then he goes on and he says this, don't they come from your desires? Wait a minute, what? My, my desire? Not somebody else's desires? My desires? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Wait a minute. My problems my conflicts actually come from within me? That's, that's a little hard to swallow. See, here's what James says. And this is, this is the hard pill for us to swallow. And we're going to look at James chapter 1, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 here, and, and look at what he has to say about our problems and where they come from. He says this, the cause can always be traced back, at least in part, to me. The cause of my problems, the cause of my conflicts, the cause of the issues at work, the cause of the issues with my children, with my in-laws, with my ex, with whatever it might be, it can almost always, at least in part, be traced back to me. And he, he, he goes deeper than that. He doesn't just say it can be traced back to you. He says it can be traced back to one part of you. Okay? He says it, it can be traced back to one clear part. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Why do we keep having these problems? Why do we keep having these issues? Well, here's where they come from. They come from your desires that are actually at war inside of you. Here's what James is going to show us today. He's going to say, your desires are actually more dangerous than you think. Now, we live in a culture that says, hey, your desires are fine. You should follow them. You should go after them. We have a culture that says, you want that? Go get it. You, you feel this way? Tell the world. You, you feel like you want to express yourself? Go for it. And James warns us in the middle of that. And he says, listen, I'm going to tell you, those things, those desires, you were made with them, but you weren't made to be controlled by them. They are more dangerous than you think. 
And in this particular text, James is going to show us three reasons that we should be careful and skeptical of our desires. He's going to share with us three things that can occur if, if we aren't careful. And he, he, here's the thing. This is what I love about the scripture. Even if you are not, if you're here today and church is new for you, you wouldn't say, hey, I'm a church person, and maybe you're not sure about the whole idea of Jesus, you can take what we're going to talk about here today, and you can test it and try it for yourself, and I think you will see it will produce good results. So if you're not sure here today, I want to invite you to still listen in, take this, and check it out for yourself. But life experience tells me that my desires are actually more dangerous than I tend to think. Think about it. Have you ever wanted something that was bad for you? you ever pursued something because you wanted it that was going to produce bad results in your life? Yeah, we all have. But what about even our good desires? What about those? Well, Paul's... Or, James says, we've got to be careful because your desires are more th- dangerous than you think. Let me remind you of verse 1, and then we'll go on. Look at what he says. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In, in verse 1, he shares with us the first reason that we should be careful with our desires. It shows up Right here in the very first verse. It's this. My desires can actually cause conflict with other people. You ever experience that? My desires, the things that I want, can actually cause conflict with other people. Follow me for a minute. Let's say I want to go on a motorcycle trip. I mean, not that I would ever want that, but... Okay, yes, I have many times. But, you know, let's say I want to go on a motorcycle trip with the guys, okay? So I want to go this direction. Here's my desire, charting out my desire, okay? But my wife has plans for us to go on a family vacation. So rather than me using my my vacation for what I want, she wants to go like this. Her desire is for us to go like this. Is there anything wrong with my wife's desire? No. Is there anything inherently wrong with my desire? No. The problem is when she wants one thing and I want another, in the middle, essentially, you have what? You have a conflict. You have a conflict. That's the reality. My desire and your desire, when the two intersect, all of a sudden, we have a conflict. And every single time there's a conflict, you have come to that conflict with desires. It's not just somebody else that showed up with desires. It's actually you as well. So what James is saying, hey, we need to be aware that something is stirring inside of me. I want something that is now causing this conflict. Let's think about that for a minute. What kind of things might you want? You go to work early in the morning, you work hard all day, you come home, you just want to rest. And now the children are clamoring for your time. And by clamoring, I mean, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! I'm sorry, I just woke some of you up. Uh, I apologize. 
And it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going and then you lose your temper. Why? You didn't, you didn't, lose, your, you didn't lose your temper just because you're a, a terrible dad or a terrible mom. You didn't lose your temper because of that. You didn't lose your temper, frankly, because of your children. You lost your temper because you had a desire to rest and relax and now something is threatening that. Right? Why do we struggle so greatly when there are financial pressures? Because we had a desire to be someplace else and now all of a sudden something's threatened that. The car broke down. Something's happened. Why are you so angry? Why? All of it. It stems back to your desires. You have a desire to have a relationship. You have a desire to be married. You have a desire to have a godly husband. You have a desire to have a, 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 a loving spouse, supportive, godly spouse. Uh, you, know, you have that desire. For whatever reason, you don't have that. And, and now you're bitter and angry and in fights. Why? Your desire. This is where James tells us, be careful Your desire will be more dangerous than you realize. Now, listen, we all have conflicts, okay? We all face them. So I want to talk about conflict with you for just a minute because the the reality is that your desire can cause conflict with other people. But when you find yourself in the midst of that conflict or approaching a conflict because you can see that there are competing desires going in different directions. Something that you need to know is that God actually calls us to realize that, that conflict is an opportunity to do something. It's an opportunity to deny ourselves instead of comfort ourselves. But you know what? When I'm in a conflict, when I feel like somebody's wronging me, do you know what I want to do? I want to comfort myself and I want everybody else to know that I'm the martyr and that I'm the victim and those big bad terrible people have hurt me how dare they when in reality Jesus is calling me into an opportunity to deny myself, deny my desires and to work on reconciling okay that, that's the essence honestly in so many ways like this is the essence of the good news of Jesus, let me, let me tell you about this on the night before Jesus was was betrayed and and crucified Jesus went to a place that we call the garden of gethsemane it's just a it's, it was an olive grove and there was an olive olive tree olive tree grove and an olive press there gethsemane it's the idea of an olive press okay um and, and he went there, and Jesus himself had desires to not suffer and die on the cross. And yet he went to God. He went before God in prayer that night, and he said, Lord, if it be your will, please take this cup from me. He's, he's saying, I don't desire to go through what I know I'm about to go through. I don't desire to go through this pain that I know I'm about to go through. Please take it from me. But then he ended by saying, nevertheless, your will be done. He, he submitted. He denied his desires and said, I will follow you. This is a pattern for us to deny ourselves and to follow him, okay? Conflict is an opportunity to deny yourself instead of comfort yourself. And there's two ways that you can process conflict. Let me share them with you. Number one, you can fight for yourself and your desires. You can say, I was right, you were wrong. I'm going to demand that you recognize that you were wrong. 
I'm going to fight, I'm going to push, I'm going to pressure you, I'm going to tell others, I'm going to do whatever it is until you finally acknowledge that I'm right and you're wrong, okay? Or you can humbly seek the good of others. You can deny yourself and choose to put your spouse before yourself, put your children before yourself, put your family member, even even your ex who says terrible things about you, to put them before yourself and submit to God. Now, James goes on. Let me show you what else he says. He says this, verse 2. You desire, so we're continuing on in the idea of, of desires, okay? You desire, but you do not have. So what do you do? You kill. Now, I, I don't think I'm talking to an audience of people who, who have literally been like, wee, 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 okay? Like, if you know what that is, you're probably over 50, okay? I don't know. If you don't, you can look. Actually, they've remade it recently, didn't they? So maybe, maybe some of you, you do know what that is, okay? But uh, it, we're, I don't think I'm talking to a group of people who've literally killed people, but the idea is that it's similar to what Jesus had to say when he said in, in, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you, you have, um, you've heard that thou shalt not kill, but I tell you, anybody who is angry with his brother and says, you fool or you empty head, is guilty of the same thing. How often do we do that, where we use our words as weapons against people, and really what we're doing is expressing a heart that says, if I could have my way, I'd actually, and think I'd get away with it, I would kill them. I would. We have a desire and when we don't get it, we kill. You, you desire something, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That's the very thing that occurs. When we give in to our desires, when we're controlled by our desires. So, so here's what happens if we aren't careful with our desires. Your desires can do a couple things. It can lead you into conflict with other, others, but it can then also cause you to sin. Sin is this word that, like, we don't like. <laughs> Let's just be honest for a minute. We don't use the word sin very often outside of the context of, like, religion, do we? You know? We, we don't. I love what uh, one communicator, we, we listen to this over and over in our starting point classes. Andy Stanley says this really well. He says, you know, we would all admit, like if I asked you, hey, hey, have you ever made mistakes? We'd all be like, yeah, yeah, I've made mistakes, right? I've made mistakes. But I, if I asked you if you've sinned, you know, you're kind of looking around the room, seeing if anybody else is like, Because the, the term sin is so final. It's like, ugh. You're not a mistaker, and neither am I. Mistakes are things you can erase. We're sinners. We've sinned. And that's what James is saying. If we aren't careful, our desires can take us to a place where we sin. And sin, sin breaks relationships. 
If I sin against my wife, it makes it hard for her to trust me. I hurt her. Now, now we have to work to restore things. And what I'm trying to get at to you here today is that if we aren't careful, our desires will cause us to sin. Now, here's the interesting thing. Your desires don't have to be wrong to be destructive. I talked about a few of these earlier, but let me just remind you of some of them. You want to be married. That, that's awesome. But if your desire to be married leads you down a path to sin, that desire is now causing problems. You want to be respected. That's great. You want your neighbors or your family members or your coworkers to respect you? That's fine. That's a fine desire. But if it leads you to sin, it's a problem. You want to be comfortable. You want to have things convenient. You want pleasure. You want, you want your kids who listen to you. You want a loving husband. You want a supporting wife. All of those desires can and not be of themselves be just fine. But if we give ourselves over to them, Now we're in trouble. So here's what I know about my desires, and I'll just apply them to all, to all of us. Our desires can be a problem when, there, when there's two things that come up. Number one, when you're willing to sin to get it. When you're willing to hurt somebody else, to lie about them, to, to, to cover it up. When you're willing to do something wrong, go outside the boundaries. When you're willing to do that, that desire is a problem, and it needs to be given up. Number two, your desire is a problem when you sin when you don't get it. I didn't get the job. Now I'm going to gossip about my boss. Right? That's the issue. Look at what else James says. He goes on, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You don't have what you're longing for because you never went to God and you never asked him. You never took the time to, wait a minute, okay, I'm trying to follow God. I believe God is the one who provides and takes care. And, and, and yet in reality, I've acted like God doesn't have anything to do with it. Functionally, I've acted out doubt that God is good and that God wants good things for me. He goes on. In, in the next verse, he says this. When you do ask, you do not receive. Well, why don't you receive? Because your motives are wrong. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. You're not asking so that it can be something that can be stewarded well. You're not asking so that you can be a, a benefit or a help to your, to your classmates or to your coworkers or to your neighborhood or to, you know, to your family. You are asking so that you get what you want. Can I just, I'm just going to have a, just give me a minute. You are being a toddler. And by you, I mean me. That's the reality. That's what we do. We're just... I'm just a, we can, we can very quickly degenerate into grown-up toddlers who can shave. Well, I can. So, ladies, I apologize. Okay. That's the reality. So what do our desires do? Our desires can cause conflict with others. Our desires can, can cause us to sin, third. Our desires can cause me to doubt God. Now, I, I want to take a minute here. 
okay? I want to be really careful with this and explain this out. You, you can have doubts and questions and, and wrestle with those, okay? I've had those. You, you can have those and wrestle with them and think through and, and, and go to God and ask God to help you with your questions and your doubts. That is not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is when you would say, you know what, I know God is good. I know God answers prayer. I know God wants good things for me. I know God's in control. And then functionally, I, I refuse, I choose to not go to God in prayer. Why? Because eh, I want what I want and I'm not sure he'll, he'll give it to me. I want what I want, and I'm not sure, wait a minute, is he really good? And we begin to question and doubt. See, here's the thing. Doubts in and of themselves, doubts and question in and of themselves are not sinful, okay? But when we deny what we know because of how we feel, that's a problem, when we deny what we know about God because, you know what, I want what I want, or I feel like God's not moving fast enough, or I wonder if God will ever answer my prayer, and so we go about it our own way to get what we want. We are being controlled by our desires. That's where the problem begins. So let me just give you a couple anchors, okay? A couple anchors, four of them. Number one, God is good, okay? That's what I know. God is good. Number two, God is loving. Number three, God is faithful. Number four, God is in control. Let those guide you in prayer. Now, how do I deal with my desires? Let me wrap us up by seeing what James has to say about if he's, if he's going to say your desires are more dangerous than you might think, what do I do then? Okay? In the last you know, couple verses that we're going to look at here today, he tells us how to deal with them, all right? Starting in verse 6, he says this, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. A couple of things. I love this. I need to hear this because I would, I'm in that, that, that place where it's very easy for me to be controlled by my desires and fight to get what I want. And, and the first thing James says is, we need to know God does meet us with grace. Did I sin? Yes. God meets me with grace. I know that's true specifically because of Jesus. Jesus is a living embodiment of the fact that God provides grace for broken, messed up people just like me, okay? He meets us with grace. Then in verse 7, it says this, so here's what we do. Submit yourselves then to God. Rather than submitting ourselves to our desires, we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil. And here's the result. He will flee from you. Now, why does it say the devil here? Well, sin in and of itself, right, is, it finds its characterization for us not only in ourselves but also in the enemy of God in the devil. So resist that temptation. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8. Come near to God. Stop drawing near to your desires. Draw near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Like he's saying, repent. Take what you've been doing. Repent of it. Turn away. Wash your hands of it, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying, turn away from what we've been doing. 
So there is a solution, okay? That's what I want to tell you. There is a solution. Here's the solution. It's simple. The solution to the potential dangers of our desire is this. Submit your desires to God and humble yourselves. And I would also say, and I'm going to talk to you about this at the end, run to God. Run to him. Whatever desires you have, you have a desire to be a mother, and it just hasn't happened. Submit it to God. Humble yourself under the fact that he is good. He sees you. He knows. He is powerful. And run to him. Okay? Run to him. So let me just give you a quick illustration of, of how we do this. How do we deal with our desires, okay? A couple of, there's really six kind of six or seven steps that we'll go through. Number one, we, we can be enticed by our desires, and we, we feel that. We've got this desire. And then from there, then we can begin to feel ourselves being drawn away or deceived and, and, and buying into our desires and thinking, well, that's good. I know it's a good thing. I want it. So then what do we do? That's where we stop and we submit to God and we say, God, this is in your hands. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to commit it to you. Then when the desire continues to creep up, we resist the devil. We say, no, I'm not going to go that direction. We resist the temptation. Then number five, we draw near to God. We, we, we remind ourselves of who he is. We dig into his word. We pray. We get accountability. Number, number six, we purify our hearts. We say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I, I acknowledge that that desire, while it is good, I'm, I'm not going to go about it my own way. And then finally, number seven, we repent and we humble ourselves and we say, okay, God, I'll wait on you. I will wait on you. I will wait on you. That's what we do. So your desires, my desires are far more dangerous than I realize. In fact, they cause fights. They cause me to sin. They cause me to question God and doubt God and, and, and all of that where I deny what I already know. It reminds me of what a man named Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5. He said this. He said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. In other words, here's a reminder. If you're a Christ follower, our goal is not to follow our desires. Our goal is to follow Jesus. That's what we're called to. Paul also writes to the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, the northern part of Greece. He says this, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. That is our entire goal. So what do we do, okay? With your desires, even if they are good, what we are called to do, or what I'm, I'm submitting to you here today is this. Submit your desires to God and humble yourself by running to God with your doubts. Run to him. Submit yourself and humble yourself. You want to get into a certain school? Awesome. Submit it to God and ask him to help. Okay? You're, you you, you want to meet that special someone? You, you have desires for, for a promotion at work? Awesome. That is great. Submit it to God and run to him and trust him. Don't submit to the desire. Submit to God. That's the call. Now, what's going to happen when I do that? Can I just show you the last couple of verses in James 4? 
here say this that we're going to look at today. Okay, This is verse 6. I already read this one to you. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. In other words, when we submit our desire to him and we humble ourselves, God is going to show favor. Boy, that sounds good. Verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? Why don't you just read this with me? He will lift you up. Let's do it again. He will lift you up. How does that happen? It only happens when you humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So here's what I'm submitting to you today. Try it. Try it for one week. Not sure about Jesus even? Fine. But go try it. Talk to God. Submit your desire to God. Let him know your desires. Give it over to him. Try it and see if you don't see his favor and see him lifting you up. I am confident because I know who God is and I know how good he is. I'm confident you're going to see him work. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the truth in your word. I pray, God, that you would encourage us to follow it and obey. And I pray, God, that you would help us to trust you. God, I'm so thankful for um, just the, the way that you have given us clear instruction for real life. Like this isn't, this isn't some re- religious discussion today. This is like the nitty gritty of, of where we live, that we have desires. And oftentimes when we give into those desires, it causes problems. So please help us to be a people who would live in light of of your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.